About 10 years ago, Annette and her son and I were sitting in a small cafe in a far corner of Costa Rica. Her son Eric was still very young at the time, and this was his first trip out of the country. And as we were sitting at the table and looking at the menu, Eric proclaimed, I want a glass of orange juice. I informed him that he could not have a glass of orange juice because they just don't have that here. It was his first lesson that when you travel outside your home country, you just cannot expect everything to be the same. But what if you were sitting in a restaurant in the United States and you asked for a glass of water and the response was, well, we just don't have that here. More than likely, that is exactly what could happen in the near future. So stay tuned to find out why. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 40, which is called Troubled Waters, The Perfect Storm is on the Horizon. I think it is safe to say that there are so many day-to-day things that we take for granted. You turn on the tap and you have fresh water. You flip a switch and you have lighting. You adjust the thermostat and have instant heating and cooling. You go to the supermarket and you can get anything you want. In fact, you can get multiple variations of the same darn thing. You get to wear whatever you want. You have easy access to education. We have the freedom to travel when we want. The freedom to own property, to have a business, and to drive wherever you want. As Americans, when it comes to our freedoms and our general expectations as to how our lives should be, we take so many things for granted. In fact, I think it is safe to say that many Americans even have a sense of entitlement. And I see that on a regular basis when I tell people no. Because the simple fact is that we are not accustomed to being told no. We are addicted to convenience and having whatever we want, whenever we want, seems to be an everyday part of our lives. Well, in my opinion, you had better get used to being told no because in the not too distant future, that is going to start happening. There have been times, a number of times in fact in my life that I've seen firsthand what people are like when things get taken away without notice. For example, uh, in the event of an emergency, you suddenly have no access to fresh water, food or other basic necessities and by virtue of where I have lived and worked I have been evacuated three times and have been trapped at home for as much as 10 days at a time on several occasions and this has been mostly due to tropical storms hurricanes blizzards and 
and the such. And I guess I've just been lucky in that sense. But by virtue of living in somewhat of an isolated area in the cabin, I have simply learned to be prepared. But what I see with so many other people in such situations is that they either panic or they get really angry, which I think is really just a reaction out of fear. So in many respects, our attitudes is that we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave, and in a world of unlimited resources. In fact, it is this easy access to anything we want, any time we want, and the convenience of our society that makes us come to expect such things. And consequently, over time, we come to feel we are entitled to such things. Meanwhile, we continue to squander the valuable and limited resources that we have. And maybe some of my listeners think, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, at this point in time, I think we can all agree that we live in a world that is rapidly changing. We are no longer sure what our world is going to be like next month, much less next year. Did you ever think that in our country, you would go to the supermarket and be faced with empty shelves? Did you ever think that you would be told by the government to stay at home? Yet most of us still live our day-to-day lives never paying attention, never realizing that sooner or later, one of the most basic resources is going to run out. And that resource is fresh water. And about this time, some of you are probably laughing in disbelief because water scarcity is such an abstract concept to most of us. But keep listening because I am about to prove you wrong. First off, it is so easy to point our gaze at other countries and say a shortage of fresh water is their problem, not ours. But let's actually take a moment and think about a couple of things because I want to give you a reality check. Of the nearly 7.7 billion people on the planet, 2.2 billion of those do not have access to fresh water. So that is about one in three people. Now, of course, this is hard to think about when you stand on the banks of the mighty Mississippi, the Ohio, the Tennessee, or the Missouri rivers. But let's think about this for just a moment. Nearly 70% of our planet is covered with water but only 2.5% of that is actually fresh water and the rest is saline or, or ocean water. We only have easy access to about 1% of that fresh water and the rest of that water is trapped in glaciers and in snowfields. The amount of water on the planet has always essentially been the same even since the time of the dinosaurs. And this is because water is constantly recycled through the atmosphere and back to Earth. But over time, the population of the world has exploded, which means every year the competition for clean, safe water intensifies. And because of the rate at which we use water, we are seeing increased demands, and we are now seeing river basins running dry. And more than likely, this is hard for you to believe because 
you simply turn on the tap and have clean, fresh water. But allow me to give you a couple of examples. The Rio Grande starts in the San Juan Mountains of Colorado and flows to the Gulf of New Mexico. It is the third longest river in the United States, and it now runs dry every year at about Las Cruces, New Mexico. The Colorado River, with its sources high in the Rocky Mountains, channels water almost 1,500 miles south to the vast delta in Mexico and into the Gulf of California and has done so for six million years. It now runs dry before it reaches the vast delta in Mexico. The last 70 miles of the Colorado River has been dry for decades. Lake Powell and Lake Mead, which are fed by the Colorado River, are now at historic lows and are only about 35% full. And for the first time ever, the government has declared a water shortage for the Western United States. And as usual, you know, I always look at these, these problems and challenges and I think, how and why did this happen? Lake Mead, which is the largest man-made reservoir in the United States, is formed by the Hoover Dam which was completed in 1935. Lake Powell, which is the second largest man-made reservoir in the United States, is formed by the construction of the Glen Canyon Dam, which was completed in 1963. Both of these projects, of course, were built for the purpose of storing and supplying water for human use, of course. And presently, these reservoirs, which supply water to about 40 million people, are at historic lows. The rivers are running dry because of water is being pumped out of the Colorado and the Rio Grande to supply farms, homes, and cities. It is a combination of excessive water usage, extreme drought, climate change, and an exploding population. And where do you think all of this water comes from? It comes from natural precipitation, meaning rainfall and snowpack. But unfortunately, with climate change and global warming, there is less rainfall and less snowpack. In fact, the snowpack is melting sooner and faster, which means less water goes into the river basins. And all of these changes coupled with increased demand warmer temperatures causing increased evaporation is causing river basins to completely run dry. Lake Powell, which was named after John Wesley Powell, who is best known for his exploration of the Colorado River and especially the Grand Canyon. At one point this man was appointed as as the head of the U.S. Geological Survey and he made three recommendations back in 1878. Number one, sell no more farmland that does not have access to fresh water. Number two, set property boundaries to encompass national, natural watersheds to avoid competition for streams. And number three, do not allow any private water companies to develop water projects. Of course, his ideas 
were rejected at the time, and he later resigned his position with the government due to controversy over his views of settling the American West. So now, here we are, 145 years later, and what do you think? And if you think this is only a problem in the Western United States, then think again. A government-backed study expressed serious concern over water shortages in 96 out of the 204 major water basins in the U.S. by the year 2071. But to a degree, we compensate for water shortages by mining groundwater, but even that has its limitations. In fact, in some areas of the United States, as much as 60% of the water demands are met by using groundwater. But what most people do not realize is that once that water is gone, it is gone for good. The other problem that is a huge concern is the fact is that a huge portion of our fresh water is actually contaminated. A recent study conducted by the Environmental Working Group starkly revealed a widespread problem that most people are completely unaware of. The majority of Americans are drinking contaminated water. This is because we have widespread water contamination with what is now being called forever chemicals. Well, I can hardly pronounce the names of some of these chemicals, but they are in the transcript of this episode, but for short, they are called PFAS. Of the 9,000 known PFAS compounds, 600 of them are currently used in the United States in countless products, such as cookware and cosmetics and firefighting foam and even in dental floss. These are called forever chemicals because of their unique chemistry, they do not readily break down under normal environmental conditions. They can persist and accumulate in the environment for hundreds and even thousands of years. And according to Chris Higgins, who is a civil and environmental engineer at the Colorado School of Mines, he says these chemicals can linger on geologic timescales. And because of the widespread use and disposal of these chemicals over numerous decades, PFASs are ubiquitous in the environment. They're in the soil, they're in surface water, the atmosphere, the deep oceans, and even in the human body. In fact, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control website says that the agency has found PFAS chemicals in the blood of nearly everyone that they have tested. And what is even more concerning is that scientists have found links between a number of these chemicals and significant health problems, including kidney and testicular cancer, thyroid disease, liver damage, developmental toxicity, ulcerative colitis, high cholesterol, pregnancy-induced preeclampsia and hypertension, and even immune system dysfunction. And what is even more concerning is that this study grossly underestimates our exposure because it only looked at two compounds and one source. 
Furthermore, numerous cities in the U.S. have tap water that is contaminated, uh, such as Flint, Michigan, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Milwaukee, Washington, D.C., Boston, Brady, Texas, and the list goes on. So the underlying point here is that while you may think we have unlimited source of clean, fresh, safe water, think again. So this really brings me to my next point of how do we solve this problem? Well, you can easily start by looking carefully at your own water footprint. On average, each American uses 80 to 100 gallons of water a day. A lot of this is from showers, flushing toilets, laundry, and even automatic dishwashers. And I find this absolutely appalling because in my family of three, we consume about 600 gallons of water a month. And I know this because I'm the one that hauls it in. So that is an average of 20 gallons of water per day for drinking, dishes, laundry, the greenhouse, the dogs, the chickens, and the turkeys. So about 200 gallons per month per person compared to 2,400 to 3,000 gallons a month per person for the average American. So we are living proof that it is easy to live on less and still have a nice lifestyle. But on the surface, it is so easy to criticize people for watering their nice green lawn while living in the desert and washing cars and filling their swimming pools and taking extra long showers, but what about the virtual water that we all consume? And what I'm referring to is the enormous amount of water that's required to produce all the consumer products that we buy, use, and throw away, as well as the things that we eat and drink. We never tend to think about the amount of water it takes in the manufacturing of everyday materials such as paper, plastic, metals, and fabric. So just allow me to just throw out a few numbers on the amount of water it takes to produce certain everyday well-known products. A single hamburger takes 634 gallons. A t-shirt, 700 gallons, most of which goes into growing the cotton. A cup of coffee, 34 gallons. A pair of jeans, 2,108 gallons. Bed sheets, 2,839 gallons. A smartphone, 3,190 gallons. An automobile, anywhere from 13,700 to almost 22,000 gallons. So these numbers are staggering but this is the amount of water that we consume by simply consuming common everyday products. So now that you have a few numbers in your head, take those numbers and multiply that by billions of consumer purchases and you might start to appreciate just how much water we use on a regular basis. And of course, this does not even take into account the amount of water it takes to generate our energy. And the average American uses five times more electricity compared to 50 years ago. But what most of us do not realize 
is that it takes a substantial amount of water to generate energy. Water is used to cool the power plants that are fueled by coal, oil, and natural gas as well as nuclear. Water is required to generate hydroelectric power. Water is used during fuel extraction, refining, and production of petroleum products. And what this means is that if you are wasting energy, you are essentially wasting water. So in the end, you know, if you really sit and think about some of these things, it can really be quite staggering. And consequently, you start to think that there is nothing that you can do. But you would be wrong about that because I'm going to give you a few helpful tips on what you can do today. Things you can start doing today. So number one, you can cut your indoor water usage. Oh, simply install a low flow shower head or put a bucket in the shower while you're waiting for the water to warm up and then use that water to, to, to water your plants for your animals or for cleaning. You can take shorter showers. You can turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth and don't leave water running while you're washing your dishes. You can use less water outdoors. You can landscape with native plants that require very little water. You can collect rainwater for use in your garden and even consider using a gray water system to water your plants. Take further steps to conserve as much electricity as possible. Obviously you can buy fewer clothes and avoid purchasing low quality disposable products. You can eat meat once a day instead of two and most importantly change your buying habits. Think before you buy something. Do you really need that new pair of jeans? You can buy reusable products. Recycle everything you possibly can, especially paper and plastic. Because in 2012, the, in the US, we threw away 24 million tons of paper and 29 million tons of plastic. Now, I'm gonna have to admit here that there's really too much information on this topic of water conservation to cover in the scope of this podcast episode, but I did find this fantastic website with tons of information on this subject that will be enormously helpful. And it is called watercalculator.org. And I do have a link to that website in the transcript. So please go there and check it out. So for just a quick summary of this episode, There are many, many things in our lives that we take for granted. We are so accustomed to having what we want when we want that we think that it is now our right, meaning we are a bit entitled. Fresh water is a resource that we view as being unlimited, and it is something that we take for granted. Turning on the tap and expecting water to come out is a rote motion, meaning it is something we do without even thinking about it. The stark reality is that our fresh water supply comprises only a small percentage of water on the planet and we are wasting it. Not only that, a huge portion of the fresh water we do have is contaminated with forever chemicals. But there are numerous ways to conserve water. 
such as being mindful of how you use water in your home, being mindful of your daily purchases, and of course, recycling. And most importantly, educate yourself. Whenever I produce a podcast episode, I conduct a fair amount of research on each topic, and it's simply because I enjoy it. So use those resources, take advantage of that, follow those links that I provide in the transcript to further educate yourself. And I think in this um, transcript, I think I have 14 or 15 references, and there's numerous things there to read and learn about. So take the time to educate yourself. So in closing, folks, I want to give you something to think about. Most people are really good. In fact, most people are at their best when they see a crisis close at hand. Hurricane is on the way, so you prepare. There's a major forest fire in your area, so you prepare to evacuate. A road is closed due to a major traffic accident, so you use your GPS to find another way. We come face to face with a dangerous animal, so we take evasive action. But what we are not so adept at is dealing with invisible dangers or threats. And it is because these dangers are out of sight and out of mind. For example, carbon emissions are invisible, so we do not routinely think about how that is altering our climate. Diminishing groundwater is something we cannot see at all. All the products we toss away every day is responsible for a considerable amount of freshwater contamination. All of these things are mostly invisible, so it is almost impossible to get excited about it. But one of the reasons I produce content on a regular basis is to try and get your attention. And unless we start paying attention to some of these things and taking action, then we are being complacent and irresponsible. I know that I have mentioned before about a scientist that published a seminal paper in the late 1800s expressing concern about increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere causing climate change. I started hearing about these concepts when I was a teenager and now I am almost embarrassed to say that at the time I thought, well, these concepts are really very interesting, but I will never see that in my lifetime. How wrong I was because now I hear about it and read about it almost every day. Do you know the definition of a perfect storm? A perfect storm is a meteorological event that is aggravated by a rare combination of circumstances. And by analogy, a perfect storm is a rare combination of events or circumstances creating an unusually bad situation. So let me put it to you this way. The climate is warming. We are running out of fresh water. River basins are drying. Less water means less food production, leading to shortages. Less water means people, perhaps even entire cities of people, are now displaced due to a lack of fresh water, and those people moving to other areas, putting even more stress on that local environment. 
Yes, this is a rare combination of events creating an unusually bad situation. The perfect storm. Until next week, remember that one single isolated action is not going to save the planet, but a lifetime of sustainable habits will. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Until then, remember to always live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.